Tom Janode, before we dive into your profile on the prolific but often forgotten running back Frank Gore, there's one play from 2007 that I want to talk about. They give it to Frank Gore, and the second effort by Gore, and he breaks it. And he's going to score. Wow. What determination by Frank Gore as he goes 43 yards on fourth down and one for the 49ers. And that quiets this crowd dramatically. Well, that is an inspired football player today. Why does this one snap represent just about everything you learned about the man you call the NFL's last running back? Well, I think that number one, it gets to his motivation. And I think his motive, you know, his motivation was, I think, the the thing that sort of distinguished and marked him as a running back. Uh, In this case, his mother, with whom he was, you know, extraordinarily close, Um, had died of kidney failure just days before this. And he was basically given a choice whether to play or not and decided to play for her because she would have wanted him to. Um, He talked to me about like crying in the locker room because she called him before every game to say, play your best. And this time the call didn't come. There was this empty space where the call should have been. It was not a game that meant a lot, but when you watch it and when you hear it broadcast, there's a couple of things that are going on. In the story, I say that the players that he runs into appear, you know, nonchalant by comparison. And I think that that's like a a thing that is really consistent throughout Frank's career. Everybody looks nonchalant by comparison um, to to Frank Gore. Nobody is quite prepared for what he is willing to bring to every encounter. I think a lot of people, when they think of Frank Gore, think of a grinder and a plotter. And I mean, there's like, you know, no doubt that he was that. And that was the thing that really like stood him in good stead throughout his career. But he was also brilliant. And this run, when you hear it, when you watch it, is brilliant. If there was an encyclopedia for the NFL, next to the word workhorse would be a picture of Frank Gore. And by the way, real men cry too. Absolutely. In his prolific 16-year career, running back Frank Gore Sr. ran for exactly 16,000 yards. That endurance will likely never be replicated in today's NFL climate, making Gore more than worthy of the title, the last running back. But what about his legacy? How can Gore pass on everything he knows in an environment that no longer values who he was? It's a question that hits at the essence of who Frank Gore Sr. is as his son, Frank Gore Jr., prepares for the 2024 NFL Draft. So today, Tom Janode joins us to tell us the gripping backstory of how Frank Sr., whose career ended in 2020, became who he is and how the future of the league has left this proud parent speechless. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Tuesday, February 6th. 
This is ESPN Daily. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tom, before we get into Frank Gore's story, tell us what brought you to this. Why him? Why then? Well, I mean, it really started, I was on the road for uh, a different story. And, you know, I was in my hotel room, nothing to do, turned on. And it was, you know, some sort of obscure bowl game um, between Rice and Southern Miss. And I'm watching it and Southern Miss had a running back. Rice just couldn't stop. He was running through them. He was running into them and then past them. It was just an unbelievable thing. So first down and long. And it's Gore. Ton of running room for Frank Gore Jr. To the house for a touchdown. Frank Gore Jr.? Didn't, didn't Frank Gore just retire? Didn't he stay in the league for longer than anybody that I've ever seen. I couldn't believe that Frank Gore, who was still, you know, sort of in my mind, was and forever would be part of my NFL watching experience, had been succeeded by this kid who ran just like him. And I just got the idea for the story um, right then. And the idea for the story being how does a player like Frank Gore, a man like Frank Gore, how does he pass on his secret, which was the secret of endurance and survival, to a son? Let's start at the beginning, though. Frank Gore Jr., very obviously the son of Frank Gore Sr., but who was the person that gave him his name? The elder. So Lizzie, Lizzie Gore gave it to him. Uh, Lizzie Gore was his mom. Frank grew up um, without his, his dad around, and he's you know, named from the, from the maternal side. He grew up in um, Coconut Grove, Florida. He grew up really, really poor in a, you know, a one-bedroom apartment that you know, at one time had... 12 people in it. He talked about like basically, you know, just beds pushed up against all the walls. Some were his um, siblings. Some of the people were his his cousins and some were people that Lizzie Gore, his mom, had taken in. And they were not only poor, you know, Lizzie um, faced the devils of addiction and she also um, 
was sick for uh, a large part of Frank's life. She uh, experienced um, renal failure and went on dialysis when Frank was um, in high school. One of the things that struck me in the story was a particular line where you said, Lizzie Gore made sure that she pushed Frank to the front and made sure that people saw him. That was reflected in a couple different anecdotes, including his time at Pop Warner. But clearly, a lot of his, to use a parlance of the sports media world, stick to was learned from his mother, Lizzie. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, he not only played Pop Warner, he played uh, a year before um, he was supposed to play because, you know, Lizzie changed his birth certificate so that he could play a year early. And people who knew Lizzie and, and knew Frank and watched Frank play from the time he was a boy to the time that he um, was a professional would say that Lizzie's voice could be heard and he could hear her voice anywhere he was on the field. He'd be in the Orange Bowl and he would turn around and look to find exactly where Lizzie was in the stands because he could hear her voice among, you know, 70,000 people. Her voice could be heard and he knew where she was. The Orange Bowl, of course, where the legendary Miami Hurricanes legendary. program played for years. Very much so there in South Florida. Now, Tom, this kind of poverty in terms of the family situation, Coconut Grove, it is often the foundation of quite a few Hall of Fame origin stories, whether it be football, whether it be other sports or what have you. But it didn't just end there for the Gores, did it? No. You know, the other thing that was that was going on is that Frank was the kind of kid who was easily discarded. Um, no one expected Frank Gore to make it. His mother pushed him once again into a situation where he was seen. And that was one day a guidance counselor from the middle school, a guidance counselor who was not Frank's guidance counselor, came up to the house to give a ride to one of his cousins. And Frank tried to get into the car and the guidance counselor wouldn't let him because he was Frank Gore and she knew two things about him, that he was in trouble a lot and he was also a crybaby. But finally she she unlocked the door, let Frank in and, you know, as well as as well as his cousin and went to school. And her name was Sharon Krantz. As his mother's health receded, she she came to the fore. By that time, he was the superstar back in in South Florida. Recruiters were starting to come around, but she started looking into like, you know, what kind of classes he was taking and found out that he was basically on track for uh, what's called a special diploma which is, you know, essentially a, a special education diploma. Um, and that meant that he couldn't go to college, that, you know, no matter how many recruiters he had. When she told him that, when she, you know, at the end of his sophomore season, this was around the time when Lizzie was in the hospital for the first time, she told him that. And he ran out of her office crying and just began running down the street and she had to go find him 
and bring him back and saying, no, no, we're going to change this. But the thing was, he he really couldn't read. And so she began reading with him books about, you know, uh, Emmett Smith, books about, you know, Terrell Davis and these like little, like these kind of biographies. And he, you know, became this avid reader. It took people a while to realize just how smart he is and to um, realize that there's really different kinds of smart and different kind of learning for everybody. He meets Sharon. Right. She helps him in a way to get the trains back on the tracks that he would not have otherwise known. Right. But at that point, Lizzie is still very sick. He's very close to his mother. Playing football, period, is perhaps something that does not feel like a good idea to him. What happens there? There's a moment when he's a junior in high school and his high school was in the playoffs. And his mother had, you know, just gone in for dialysis and was basically given, you know, a year to live. And he goes to the hospital to ask her if he can and should play in the playoffs. And she's there and she has tubes in her and she's in the hospital. And Frank, to this day, hates hospitals, is afraid of hospitals. And she says, go play. And she says, you know, and play your best. He's going to Coral Gables High School. He's turning into the star recruit. Coral Gables, quite literally, is where the University of Miami campus is located. Larry Coker is the head coach there. The U is very much in effect. Was it a foregone conclusion that that's where he would go to play and matriculate and turn into the star that he eventually became? It was not a foregone conclusion. He, um, he was recruited from all over the country, and he decided to go to the University of Mississippi. I think that there are two reasons for that. One, I think that both he and his mother wanted to get out of Miami and get him out of Miami. And then um, the night before, he was going to, you know, sign on the dotted line. Um, a University of Miami coach named Curtis Johnson came to visit him. And then Curtis said, you don't want to go to Miami because you're scared. Because you know that you're going to have to compete against Clinton Portis and Willis McGahee and all the guys that we got here. And you're, you're afraid of that. Frank was like, no, I'm not afraid. But I just... You know, but I am going to Mississippi. And then Curtis looked at his mom and looked at Frank and said, you know, basically, how can how can you leave her here? How can you leave her here alone? And, you know, he he changed his commitment. He went to the University of Miami instead. The late great Sean Taylor was on that team as well. Just one of the many names yes. that littered the roster back when the Canes were literally fielding what effectively felt like a starting lineup full of NFL players. But one of the players you mentioned, Clinton Portis, he specifically developed a special bond with. Please tell me more about that. Clinton knew right away that Frank was special and that Frank was going to work hard and grind, um, you know, no matter how talented he was. And I think that they also, I think that the team, like when you talk to these guys, the team was really close. But Clinton, you know, he was the, the dominant guy right from the get-go. He was the number one back. But after, you know, Miami would get ahead and after Clinton got his yards, he would try to arrange for 
Frank to get in. He would go next to the running backs coach and come back and he would step on the back of his own shoe so that the shoe would come off. And he would say, hey, coach, coach, my, my shoe's off. I got to go tie it. Send Frank in. And so, and he, and he would tell Frank before the games, like, come stand next to me and I'm going to do this. And so the coach would say, ah, okay, just go in. We did start the show with one play that says everything about Frank Gore. You mentioned he was a breakaway back at one point of his career, something that seems unfathomable for those who only saw him in the pros. But there was one week later that spring in his freshman year that you just referred to that defined the rest of his life. What happened, Tom? He goes into spring practice of his freshman year. So this is the, the spring practice leading into his, his sophomore years. And he is, you know, a completely dominant player making cuts that you can't believe. And during a routine drill, um, he makes one of those impossible cuts. And while he's making one of those impossible cuts, he gets hit by Sean Taylor and his knee explodes. And then there's something else that happens, which is that he doesn't show up to some of the therapy that the team and the orthopedic surgeon are trying to get to him. And he's not that kind of guy. And they're wondering, like, why isn't Frank showing up? And it turns out that he has he has no way to get there. He's too poor to attend the physical therapy that's been um, prescribed for him. And so he, he doesn't ever regain full extension in that leg. And while his knee injury was devastating, earlier in that week, there was another seminal moment. Frank Gore became Frank Gore Sr. when his son was born. Coming up, the next chapters of Gore's seemingly endless story. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement... Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category, like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th, and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value, Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. 
taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Okay, Tom, so now we have Frank Gore Sr., a new father with a bad knee at 18 years old. What happens next? Well, what, what happens next is that he comes back um, as a junior, and he is the starting back. He's a diminished version of the back that was so explosive as a freshman. He's he's lost a step. And but he plays and he starts and against West Virginia, he's in a pile and a lineman rolls over his other knee. The same thing happens. He goes into surgery. This time, Dr. Uribe says, you're going to live with me because he knows that Frank had such a hard time getting to therapy. And he went to Don Sollinger, who was the, the running backs coach, and said, this is it. I'm going to quit. And Don Sollinger says, you're crazy. Your gifts are God-given. And my purpose right now on earth (laughs) is to get you into the NFL. And I think that that's the other thing about Frank's story that really moves me. At every moment in Frank's life, when Frank is in real, real trouble, or when Frank is thinking of quitting, or when the odds are so stacked against him that any forward progress seems impossible, someone shows up to help him and believe in him. One of the people who believed in him, Scott McLuhan, who was just a scout at the time. After all of the things he's been through in college, getting to the pros, not a given. What can you tell us about the relationship between those two and how it affected his ability to become the professional he always wanted to be? So Scott sees Frank freshman year and says, I want this guy. This guy is completely dominant. And Frank loses a step after his first first knee injury and loses the second step after his second knee injury. But Scott always, always believes in him. Even when Frank goes to the combine, does legendarily poorly on the Wonderlick test, and then also poorly on the 40. And Scott essentially falsified the test so that he could still draft the guy. Frank also failed the physical at the combine. Scott by this time was the the you know the lead scout of the 49ers or or the director of personnel and would soon become the GM. But Scott went to the 49ers doctors and said, 
Oh yeah, he failed it? Well, you're going to change that because I want this guy on our team. And I guess the other thing that, that Scott did was that he went up to Frank and said, listen, I can't draft you in the first round. I can't draft you in the second round. But if you're still there at the beginning of the third round, you're my guy. And, you know, Frank talks a lot about the day of the draft or the two days of the draft when all these other running backs were being taken and he's there with Lizzie crying. But third round comes, 49ers have the first pick. Scott picks him just like he says he would. And when Frank is flown out to San Francisco to meet Mike Nolan, who's the coach, Frank marches right past Nolan's office and walks into Scott's office and embraces him and says, you're the only guy who told me the truth. You're the only guy who was straight with me. I'm going to do whatever I can for you. I'm going to run through walls for you. And, you know, sure enough, he ran through walls for him. For all 16,000 of his yards, he gained from 10 years in San Francisco to stops in Indianapolis, Miami, Buffalo, and then the Jets. He was also Frank Gore Sr., the dad. Where was Frank Gore Jr. in all of this? Frank Jr. had the blessing and the curse of being the son of a very prominent NFL player. Frank Jr. was not as big as his father. Everybody who's in that I talked to who is from Miami called him you know, little Frank to his father's big Frank. Frank, I think really from the beginning, tried to instill in Junior some of the toughness, some of the resilience that he had. But how do you, how do, you do that? Frank, you know, big Frank comes from, you know, this crucible of hardship. What kind of crucible does Frank Jr. come from the crucible of being, you know, sort of number two and people saying, hey, you know, you're pretty good, but you're not as good as your dad. But he was a, uh, a wildcat quarterback at Killian High School in, in Miami. He was a good runner, but he was never going to make it as a quarterback. He was a three-star recruit. He was not nationally recruited the way his father was. And then, you know, came to, um, finally came to Southern Mississippi. You said you were sitting in your hotel room. You sat up when you heard the name Frank Gore Jr. Where is that back today that Rice could not stop in the Lending Tree Bowl? Well, that, that back today um, has, you know, finished his, finished his four years at Southern Miss. And he was just uh, named... MVP at the uh, Shrine Bowl uh, All-Star Game. And off's going to go to Frank Gore Jr. Oh, he's got some running room. Frank Gore Jr. busts out the left side, and they're not going to get him. Frank Gore Jr. has our first touchdown of the ballgame. They talked about his footwork mimicking his dad, and then Frank Gore Jr. finishes just like his dad puts the ball in the paint. It's, it's kind of amazing how similar they are Frank Gore Sr. talks about, you know, running in three dimensions. Basically, having the vision to be setting up the linebacker as you're 
coming through the line to be setting up the defensive back as you're getting past the linebacker. That's what he values in running backs more than anything else. Well, his his son, little Frank, you know, has that ability, and that's what gives him, you know, breakaway ability despite his shortage of size and speed. It's a fantastic reunion. Big Frank there to see his kid get that award at the Shrine Bowl. But what do you think Frank Sr. thinks of where his son is headed? Into a league, their shared position. Whether or not you're going to say that that's what he would play at the next level, how do you think he feels about how his progeny is going into the league at this point? Number one, I think that that, that he's he's super proud of his son. But one of the things that really moved me, talking to Frank Sr., was hearing him talking about dropping Junior off at Southern Miss and just like how much he cried. He, you know, I mean, Frank is, I mean, as as Scott McLuhan was saying, like there are like tough guys in the NFL, but those tough guys think like no one was tougher than Frank Gore. But just like every other dad, you know, dropping off his kid at school, he just cried like a baby when he did that. There's nothing that, that Frank Gore wouldn't talk about with me except one thing. And that was the, the question of how do you think that Frank Gore Jr. is going to respond to a major injury in the NFL of the kind that you suffered when you were in college? Because Frank Jr. has not been hurt yet, not in the way that Frank was. And he thought about it and thought about it, and he never answered. It was the only question that I asked him that Frank didn't answer. The lead driving point of this piece is that Frank Gore is the last true running back in the NFL. After all of the time you spent between Fort Lauderdale, Southern Mississippi, and in your travels, do you think that that's actually true regarding Frank Gore and that position and that league? Frank Gore gained 16,000 yards in the NFL over 16 seasons. He played in 271 games more than any other running back in the history of the NFL. His yardage totals ranked third in NFL history after Emmitt Smith and Walter Payton. I don't think that anybody is going to dislodge him from that spot. What he did seems impossible as a physical and mental feat. But now it's come to the point where it seems impossible as an economic feat. I mean, it's not that there are no backs playing now that might not be able to have a long, long, long and fruitful career in the NFL. It's that, you know, no team will pay him to do that. And so I think that the, the title of the story, the, the last running back, is, is kind of bittersweet and kind of pointed because Frank Sr. has tried to teach Frank Jr. these qualities of endurance and survival that are the things that he learned over time. But Frank Jr. is not going to be able to put everything 
that he's learned to use simply because of the economic realities of being an NFL running back right now. If you're wondering, listeners, Frank Gore Sr. is eligible for the NFL Hall of Fame in 2026. Tom Janot, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. It was great to talk about this. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.